0: Everybody, welcome back to another wonderful episode of Fraternity. I'm your little brother Danny, and I'm here with my big brother Sean. <laughs> hey, what's going on? <laughs> oh, well, if you've seen the movie, you are definitely irked now. But I hope everyone had a great Halloween. I know I had a great Halloween. I got way too drunk, and I was handing out candy to the kitties, and it was fun. I had a good time. Sean, what did you do on Halloween? You went and saw
1: Dawn of the Dead in 3D. How was that? It was amazing. Uh, Totally made me respect the craft of cinema more than I already do. And hey, weren't you jamming the Suspiria soundtrack for all the <laughs> trick-or-treaters? Yeah, in my drunk
0: mind, I I was, you know, playing the classic. I was playing some of the Halloween theme. um, And then in my head, I was like, you know what? I'm going to put on Suspiria. <laughs> and it was on Spotify, and I had it jamming on a Bluetooth speaker while trick-or-treaters were coming up. So those kids <laughs> got exposed to some horror classic tunes,
1: and I got to say I'm proud. <laughs> I'm proud, too. Good job. And, you know, Halloween is, what, 11 days behind us now, and we're coming back, and we're flipping the script. So tonight we're covering a movie that I had never seen before, but Danny had and really liked it. And what movie is that, Danny?
0: That movie is going to be Ari Aster's Hereditary from 2018, and... I have a story time for you, for everybody here.
1: Let's hear it. I cannot
0: wait. So let me start off by saying that I have a love-hate relationship with A24, the movie production company. I know that statement might piss off some listeners, and that's okay. Just hear me out. Their output of interesting films is absolutely commendable. You know when you see that A24 logo in a trailer, you know that movie is going to be at least somewhat interesting. It's going to have some intrigue behind it. But a lot of the times when I would watch an A24 movie, I just found myself disappointed. Especially in the horror department. I felt like, more often than not, I was given style over substance and not much to gnaw on. Now, this is fraternity, and we love all types, all subgenres, and all blends of horror. And we love some artistic horror, too. But I'm also not one of those snobs who thinks horror only has merit when it's trying to transcend the genre. I love B-movie garbage, and of course that's Sean's influence, but I love elevated horror just as much. So anyway rocky relationship with A24 until one fateful night. You see, at the time, I had a buddy who used to work for a movie theater, a real nice one in Hollywood, Arclight. You might have heard of it. And one of the perks he got for putting in his 40 hours a week was free movie tickets. So one day, he took me and a couple of friends to see this movie called Hereditary. I knew nothing about it, and given my past experience with A24, wasn't all too excited to go and watch it. But watch the movie, I did. And within the first 30 minutes, I was on the edge of my seat, and I don't think I ever leaned back to touch the back of my seat ever <laughs> throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> I was just completely in love with what I was watching on the screen. I couldn't remember the last time a movie had shaken me like that. It was just so full of raw emotion. It was horror in the true definition. It was painful, full of fear and dread. And as artsy as this film was, it had a story to tell and it had a heart behind it. It was experimental, but in the same sense, paid homage to some of the best films in the genre. And of course, what justified my love for the film, too, was that I was the only one in the group that was really throwing all this praise at it. (laughs) So it was a really interesting movie to watch with a group of friends. And when I was reading about the film later on, I had also realized I had a past with Ari Aster that I didn't realize. I had seen his short film, The Strange Thing About the Johnsons, years earlier, randomly on the internet. I'm not going to go into that short film. But if you liked being shocked with Hereditary, you should definitely check it out. It's only 30 minutes, and it will leave you speechless, I'll say that much. Now, many years have passed since then, and many more A24 films have these eyes seen. And I haven't seen Hereditary again until watching it again for the show. But I never forgot how much it moved me. And it still ranks among one of the best A24 films I've seen and recent horror films, in my opinion. And so I'm just so excited to share this film with Sean and get his perspective on what I think is a modern horror classic.
1: Awesome. I'm glad you finally made me watch this movie because I don't know why I never sat down to watch it, but up until watching it, I will tell you. I have completely avoided spoilers, except for one, which is kind of obvious, because it was memed like a son of a bitch. <laughs> it was unavoidable, but besides what was the, the one moment... What was that, the moment? You know the meme where they show Charlie and the pole? Like, here's a good couple's costume, and it's Charlie and the pole. Oh, okay. I hadn't <laughs> seen that,
0: but Okay. <laughs>
1: Well, I kept seeing the poll referenced with Charlie and put two and two together. I did. (laughs) I looked it up on YouTube and I watched that scene without any context. But besides that, I had no idea what happened in this movie. I had seen the trailers and I thought they were great. I was like, man, this looks really good. But for some reason, I just never made an effort to see it. But now I have. And I'm really looking forward to talking about it with you. But I thought first, before we get into the movie, can we talk a little bit about the term elevated horror? (laughs) Sure. I've never really given it much thought. And I want to preface this by saying, like, I don't care, really, either way. I really don't want to make any bones about what anyone decides to call a movie. But... We're doing a podcast, so we might as well argue just for the sake of arguing, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like it's one of those things where I would never use the term. Like, to me, this is just a horror movie. Horror is horror. But other people like to throw these terms around, elevated horror or artistic horror, what have you. And it's like, well, I guess if other people are using the term, I might as well. It's the same thing with, like, music genres, you know? Like... I get, like, subcategorizing things to make uh, finding what you want to see easier, but I'm not one to really care one way or the other.
1: Right, you're speaking my language here, but I have to debate the idea that elevated horror is even a subgenre. Because most movies that are called elevated horror fit within well-established subgenres regardless. And I will say, is it just me or does the term kind of reek of pretentiousness?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think it was invented by people who are not fans of horror. I feel like this film has a lot more in common with like traditional horror, and I can see why that would be off-putting to elevated horror fans, quote unquote. Yeah, it's the type of people who are like, oh, I don't like horror, but I like This and this and this, this is what is good horror and the rest is garbage. Like I said, we love all types of horror, all the garbage, all the trash, but we love the good stuff too, you know, we love all of it.
1: Right, well, every generation of horror movies has its fair share of trash, but each generation of horror films also has really incredible works of art. And I think the term elevated horror also speaks to a lack of historical knowledge or context because if just look at Hereditary, its influences are pretty easy to spot from The Exorcist to Rosemary's Baby to even a little bit of the Amityville horror. And now you're noticing retroactively. People are starting to call things like The Exorcist elevated horror and shit like that. And it's like, it's just horror. It's okay. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I don't know. People don't want to admit that they're into horror or that horror
0: has some merit. Like, they've been brainwashed into thinking it's a horrible genre and we have all these people who, uh, you know, like film student types. Like, they just have this film snobby attitude and a part of that clique you know, part of that mob mentality, which I have never identified with at all. And I really don't care for, but I understand why it exists and why people can fall prey into that peer pressure.
1: Yeah. And that's fair. And I'll also say and admit, you know, there's always a stubbornness towards newer films from old gatekeeper types like myself on occasion, (laughs) (laughs) you know, guilty as charged. But I think the bottom line with the term elevated horror is you don't have to overshadow anything else to prove yourself as worthy within the genre. And Hereditary is a great example of that because there's so many great horror films behind us, but this is a great example of how there's so many great horror films in front of us too. Because this movie stands shoulder to shoulder with things I named Drop, like The Exorcist or the Amityville Horror. I think this movie is just as good as those movies today. It's a modern classic. And with that said, you know, the art form of making horror films is never going to stop growing, and it's never going to have a lack of influences at the ready for brand new filmmakers to take advantage of and twist into their own new and unique ideas and it's just gonna push the genre forward and i don't think you're gonna need any terms to call it i think it's just very unnecessary but i also don't give a shit so that's enough (laughs) rambling about elevated horror let's talk about hereditary
0: elevated or not horror in the spotlight is always good (laughs) you know barbarians getting a lot of traction is it elevated horror maybe to some people to me it's just horror but the fact that it's being hey, talked about is just that's all that
1: matters definitely brother and think about terrifier 2 and what it's doing right now and that is definitely not that elevated is definitely horror. not
0: elevated horror i haven't seen it i don't even have to see it to say that that's not elevated in any
1: sense <laughs> here's the last thing i'll say there's that saying that A rising tide lifts all boats. And the horror genre, when it has a hit, is really good at doing that and lifting all boats and opening the floodgates for more and more movies to come piling out. So call it what you want, just keep that tide coming up. Right on. So, you ready to talk about Hereditary Danny? I've been ready, brother. But before that, I just wanted to
0: say the number one place to keep up to date with everything that Fraternity is doing is over on Twitter. We know Elon took over, but we're still over on Twitter. We're doing our thing. It don't matter. At Fraternity, go over there and follow at Frighternity. Like our tweets, retweet us, DM us, anything at all. We'd love to interact with you. And if you have any questions, comments, anything at all, Email fraternity at gmail.com. That's fraternity at gmail.com. Questions, comments, just want to say hi. We'd love to open a dialogue with you. And if you like the show, give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. It would help the show grow and further our reaches into the Horror Podcast Network. And we want to grow and be in everyone's ears, every horror fan's ears, young and new, elevated or not. We want to be in their ear holes
1: all righty man first thing i want to say is i was very taken by the fact that this movie opens with an obituary as our introductory crawl so to speak i don't think i've ever seen that before and it's a perfect mood setter for this movie yeah totally
0: i had forgotten it opened like this but it totally sets the mood
1: for the entire film and it's just so brooding yeah and you'd think that the lowest point of a family drama would be a death in the family but hereditary is here to prove us wrong because things are only gonna get worse from here surprisingly worse as a matter of fact
0: <laughs> yeah the thing i love about this movie is just how deep like the tragedy goes within the family and just how unfiltered it is. And just, you see how the raw ugliness of something like this, like a tragedy happening in the family and how everyone deals with it. Like, it's just, it's just mesmerizing on the screen. Like, I just love it every time. Like watching it again, I was just like immediately captivated, immediately remembered like why I love this movie so much.
1: So here's the thing I realized about Hereditary. All of the early signs point to this being a psychological horror film. And we don't really know Annie all that well. She comes across as an unreliable narrator, and she's very clearly psychologically damaged. But at a certain point, this movie does reveal itself to be a supernatural horror film through and through. I mean, it's really a supernatural horror film that masquerades as a psychological thriller for the longest time. (laughs) Because, spoiler alert, we're gonna let's just get everything out there because the fun in this movie is discussing what's going on. Because this is one of those movies where you can have multiple interpretations and probably miss something. It's a movie that demands multiple viewings. But basically,. We have this cult of Pyman manipulating the proceedings of this film the entire time. It's really a tale of two halves, because while we go through that psychological drama portion of the movie, there are clues littered throughout. But like I said, Annie's kind of an unreliable narrator, so you're not quite sure what to make of these clues, you know?
0: Yeah I think you said it perfectly when it's like masquerading as a psychological horror but in the end actually being completely supernatural which is another thing I just love about it that it just I feel like a lot of horror is afraid to go the full step and be like supernatural or just out of this world you know and here it is on full display like Especially towards the end, there's just so much that happens that it's just beyond comprehension.
1: It's just great. So I'm under the impression, Danny, that Annie's mother, the queen of this cult of Paimon worshippers, had indeed summoned Paimon into Charlie, and this has caused their spirits to become intrinsically linked. You think I'm kind of on the right page with the film here? <laughs> yeah, I think you got it. I mean, that explains, again, all her weird tips, right? Because at
0: first... It explains her fascination with Charlie, too, and, like, taking so much interest in her as a child.
1: Yeah, one good clue to this, too, is when we see that guy at the funeral smiling at her, and we're gonna see him a little later with his dong out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love
0: that. I I love that callback to that creepy, smiling guy. I was like, do they show him again? I was like, oh, yeah, they do. dingling out.
1: (laughs) You know, there's also that moment when the bird hits the window at the school and Charlie goes to cut its head off and she notices someone watching her from across the street. And I bring that up because that's kind of a perfect example of the strange happenings that shouldn't just be written off because It's giving you all the necessary clues that make this story work, but you're also so unsure if what you're actually seeing can be trusted or not. So why don't we talk about Annie a bit? Because we are going to be seeing a lot of this movie through her eyes. And what I was really fascinated by was, despite the movie starting with the death of her mother and showing us her artistry, she's a character that we really know very little about. We know very little about this entire family, actually. But the more we learn about Annie, it's often to her detriment as far as being that reliable narrator (laughs) is concerned. Because especially once we learn about the sleepwalking. But I have to ask, what do you think of her miniature artwork?
0: Oh, the miniatures are great. And I love those establishing shots where you really can't tell if it's an actual real shot or if it's the shot of the miniature and then you know watching it again it's like you know we talk about the cult kind of pulling the strings here with the family and you know you can see the miniatures as you know the family is just a part of uh This scheme, and there's no way to get out of it. They really have no choice. You know, they're just these miniatures in this set that have no free will of their own, even though they think they do. So I think it's just a genius way to give Annie this profession and then how it works into the themes of the story. It's awesome and the imagery as well.
1: Yeah, I really like how the further along we go, the more we realize that her miniature artwork is really just these tiny snapshots of moments in her life because at first they don't seem as personal as they really are you know right i gotta say danny i think the scariest bit in this movie is when she turns the light off and notices the apparition of her mother standing there (laughs) in the dark like i'm not even gonna lie dude that creeped me the fuck out like Shivers ran up my spine. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's creepy, especially when it's just like,
0: you know, she's smiling. She isn't some like weird looking demon. It's just this old woman just smiling in a dark corner and you can barely make her out. Like, oh my God. Yeah, it's totally creepy. I love all the uh, just supernatural happenings in this film <laughs> and this. So many good scares. And there's plenty of good jump scares, too. You know, there's plenty of clicking of the tongue that just like snaps the characters into a frenzy. <laughs> but then, yeah, there's also just like apparitions and just so much going on in the frame that's just creepy and beautiful.
1: I gotta say, too, not only did this movie manage to scare me a few times, but when Annie goes to that grief coping group, that's some heavy stuff. And Tony Colette is just amazing in this movie like that scene in particular at the grief counseling it made my eyes water because that's difficult stuff and it's really hard to capture those genuine emotions but she just knocks it out of the park each and every time in this movie
0: yeah everyone who's seen this film can agree that tony collette this is just performance of a lifetime for her in this film And yeah, I love that scene too, because you're right. It's so hard to capture that genuine like trauma dumping and just like, but she captures it so perfectly, just like stumbling over herself on her words and not really making sense, but also at the same time making complete sense in what she's saying. You can kind of picture, you can kind of piece together what she's trying to say.
1: It's hard to write and act rambling, you know? Yeah. but they nail it (laughs) when she's like i'm blamed i am blamed and the guy's like what is it you think you're blamed for and she's like i don't know (laughs) just great stuff yeah and then it's just
0: like paced perfectly like we get just enough out of that scene and then it's done like we never stray too long from scene to scene it's it's just paced wonderfully
1: Yeah, and that first half is really dealing with the family grief of the death of her mother. But next we come up to what is undoubtedly this movie's most notorious moment. So the little girl Charlie has a pothead older brother named Peter, and he wants to go to a school hangout. But Annie forces him to take Charlie with him. And this throws a wrench in his dick wedding plans. (laughs) because. Unknown to Peter, there's only one pole getting wet tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I went there. (laughs) um, So it's established early on that Charlie suffers from nut allergies. And this all comes to a head when Peter goes to smoke a bowl with some friends and tells Charlie to go get a piece of cake that's just fucking loaded with nuts.
0: (laughs) I love that shot of just that girl chopping the nuts and it's just like... There's more nuts in this cake than cake.
1: (laughs) There is no teenage Kager in the world that goes and buys a whole bag of walnuts. I'm saying it now. (laughs) If you can prove me wrong, more power to you. But I call bullshit. That's the most unrealistic moment in this movie. (laughs) But Charlie eats the cake and then her throat starts to swell shut. And before you know it, Peter's rushing her to the hospital in the SUV and she sticks her head out. To try to get some air. And at the same time, Peter has to swerve to avoid hitting a dead animal. And, well... (laughs) Pole. Meathead. Crunch. (laughs) Like I said, Danny, this is the only scene I was familiar with due to all the memes. But my familiarity with the scene lacked any sort of context. And boy, is this some heavy shit right here. (laughs) Well, yeah... I'm curious,
0: like, so you spoiled yourself on the scene, but I'm assuming it still had an effect on you seeing it happen.
1: Let me start off by saying great foreshadowing with the pole when they're driving to the party, and we even see it's engraved with (laughs) an occult marking, right? So now there's the question of how much of this was orchestrated. You know, did the cult even place that dead animal there? Did they place the It's a question nuts? worth asking. <laughs> At the party. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're onto something. <laughs> but yeah, I knew the head crush was coming. But then the way they have Peter just sitting there in shock and subtle agony. And the way we heard Charlie wheezing before the accident. But now they're just in silence and you can see the tears starting to form. In Peter's eyes oh man like really rough but great stuff going on here and then you have him just drive home in shock and retreat to his bedroom and I love when we are sitting on his restless face but we hear Annie make the grim discovery outside the next morning and then I had no idea about that aftermath shot with her fucking head laying there covered in blood and ants. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Talk about a cherry on top, right? Right, yeah. Everything you brought up, I love to.
0: Like I said, when I first... Watching this scene in the theater it was just shocking. And I really was just like, leaned in totally like, Oh my god, this movie's fucking insane. And yeah, Peter in total shock in the SUV doesn't want to look in the rearview mirror. And I love when it just like shows you a little glimpse of him looking up and you see the reflection, but he quickly looks away. Yeah. It just captures that like that grief, and he doesn't want to like accept what's the reality of the situation. And yeah, him just going home and just getting into bed, but unable to sleep. And Annie screaming in agony the next morning is just you know words can't describe how amazing this scene is and how it irks you. <laughs> it just sticks with you. It stuck with me this whole time, and I really love it. Like Alex Wolf, the guy that plays Peter, like I don't think he gets enough credit, but I think he is amazing in this film. Like I'll gush about him more later on, but I think he is really putting in the work to make this film what it is just as much
1: as tony collette in my opinion i agree with you there and let's not forget that peter had to go through that whole ordeal after a massive bong rip (laughs) (laughs) you know i really like the shot at the cemetery when they're burying charlie and the camera's at a distance and it lowers into the ground yeah It's a great example of a simple but great concept just executed to perfection. And like we've already mentioned, this movie starts at a very rough point for this family, but now this is just pure devastation. (laughs) And I loved how you kind of talked about the scene with Annie just bawling and Steve's trying to console her. And we see Peter just standing silent in the hall. And that's just so heart-wrenching because I think a lot of people can harken back to a moment of devastation in their family where they were the kid and maybe you could hear crying like that from your parents' bedroom or something and you would stand there and just, you're a kid so there's nothing you can do, but in this instance it's like, you're also the guilty party. (laughs) You kind of
0: caused it so it's even more gut-wrenching yeah that so good you just feel that peter just feels so guilty and has no idea how to even begin to fix things
1: i'll tell you right away the other unrealistic thing about this is peter would have definitely needed to go to the hospital <laughs> 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 the amount of shock he was in I think he needed a few days at the hospital, for sure. It wouldn't just be like, oh, okay, you're fine. You know, because (laughs) as we see in the film, he becomes so disassociative. And Annie is, at this point, just inconsolably damaged. And I think the next great moment we get is that family dinner freakout with Annie just... (laughs) screaming at peter oh man just another perfect performance i love that scene yeah so good her just
0: unloading all the blame onto him another little scene i really love too is when peter comes home from riding his bike and you just see annie in the car watch him go in and you see peter like hesitates Before he goes in, like, he's shaking, like, he's so scared to go in there, like, he doesn't want to deal with whatever is coming, and then as soon as he goes in, Annie drives
1: off, because she as well doesn't want to see him or deal with him. Yeah, that was a very real moment, you know, where home is no longer a happy place, and he's, like, standing there, like, having to build up his walls just to go in the house, you know? Right. But... Yeah, that scene and that dinner freakout scene, just Tony Collette and Alex Wolf just knock it out of the park again. But I thought we could take a moment to talk about Gabriel Burns' performance as Steve, the dad, because you can't have each and every member of this family just going cuckoo, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, you need someone who's grounded and trying to take control of the situation. And for some reason, I felt like Gabriel Byrne was in it less than he is but rewatching it I was like you know what he's in it quite a lot and I think he has like a steady foot in the film like I think he has plenty of purpose and reason to be there so I thought the character of Steve was great this time around
1: yeah I like the fact that he's a psychiatrist so he's a little better equipped to handle the things being thrown at this family but This movie also avoids the trappings of having him try to be his family's therapist. He's just trying to hold the family together, really, and just be there for them in these moments. Well, I love, too,
0: when he gets Annie for dinner and he's like, come down or not, I don't really give a shit. Like, even he's, like, at his limit, you know, but he can handle the stress.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a wonderfully subdued performance, and I think it plays nicely off of everything else that's going on. So, yeah,
0: I, agree. I don't think there's
1: many moments to shine a light on Gabriel Byrne. And what better time to do it than a scene where Tony Collette and Alex Wolford are just killing it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. Everyone is knocking it out in this film, for sure. With all of that, why don't we move closer to our supernatural second half and talk about Joan? Because if there is one character that I was definitely suspicious of, it was Joan. (laughs) So Joan is a woman that Annie meets when attending those grief counseling sessions. And what Joan is going to really do is introduce the occult, or let's say, supernatural elements into the film. And I have to admit right now that It was actually kind of difficult for me to accept the fact that this movie was actually going to go the supernatural route. You know, it it plays the family drama and the psychological horror elements so well and so strongly that I found it a bit jarring to realize that, no, there's actually a cult shit going on here. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it wasn't like I was expecting some fight club type shit where Joan was an imaginary friend or anything, but I definitely wasn't expecting what we do get, you know, to the degree that we get it.
0: Yeah, totally. They play it so heavy with the family drama that, yeah, the occult supernatural stuff does kind of come out of nowhere, but I feel like it fits. And I just love that those two extremes are married in this film. So, I never had a problem with it, but I definitely can see why it's, like, a little jarring.
1: I just had a hard time accepting it. I was like, is this still bullshit, or, like, are we really going this route, you know? Yeah. And then by the end of it, I was like, okay, we, we really went this route. Like,
0: <laughs> Yeah. And also, the tone of the film never changes. Like, it still has that realistic, gritty depiction of life to it, so... Yeah, it is hard to accept, but like you said, it's uh, Annie with being the unreliable narrator and you're always questioning what's really going on up until
1: the end. You're like, all right, that is what's going on. And again, that's why this movie deserves a review because the signs and the clues are all there, you know? Like when you look at the funeral on your second watch of the mother, you're like, no shit, all these people are the cult members, you know? Right. But, yeah, we get a scene where Joan demonstrates a summoning with Annie, and for all intents and purposes, this confirms an afterlife within the universe of this movie, and it's a revelation that's a bit difficult for Annie to process at the moment, and with all we know now, Danny, like it's kind of hard to say what Joan is actually doing in this sequence, <laughs> so yeah, basically, that scene steers the ship into supernatural horror territory from here on out and annie is eventually going to do a seance with peter and steve to invoke charlie and this ends up disturbing the entire family in various ways (laughs) especially when charlie starts to speak through annie like a medium that was very creepy i was not liking that either peter (laughs) (laughs) yeah you gotta
0: love just peter like bawling and be like like Mom, stop, please stop. Like, you're scaring me. (laughs) And then Annie having no idea what happened
1: when uh, Steve throws water in her face. (laughs) Good stuff. And speaking of good stuff, Danny, let's talk about this dream within a dream within a dream type (laughs) sequence.
0: Yeah, I don't know how many layers we're on in this scene, (laughs) but we're on plenty of layers.
1: Yeah. So in conversations with Joan... We've learned that Annie not only sleepwalks, but apparently she attempted to kill her children once by dousing them in paint thinner and striking a match. But the match strike woke her, and she did not kill her children. But this is a great example of how little we know of Annie, because that's quite the revelation. (laughs) (laughs) It is pretty damn heavy that you almost burned your children alive. So Annie wakes up in bed. And she notices ants crawling on her. And then she notices a bunch of ants coming through the window. But they're all heading for Peter's room. So Annie follows this trail of ants. And she finds Peter's face just consumed with them. His eyes and mouth are just full of the tiny insects. Really disgusting. But then Peter calls out to his mother. And we discover that she's sleepwalking. And while talking with Peter, she accidentally blurts out that she never wanted to be his mother. And she recounts how she tried to give herself a miscarriage. And as this tender family moment comes to a head, we notice that Peter and Annie are suddenly doused in paint thinner. And we hear a match strike. And the room goes up in flames. But then Annie wakes up in her bed. And we see that she was never sleepwalking at all. And this was just One long nightmare sequence. (laughs) Well played, Hereditary. Great stuff. (laughs) Yeah. You
0: know, I hate when you watch a film and you know it's a dream sequence or a TV show. You know, you gotta be, you gotta keep your dream sequences interesting and nonsensical, you know, like most dreams are, in my opinion. And I also love when a dream sequence is. Within a dream, within a dream, and you never know where it ended or where it began. So this is the type of dream sequence that I love. <laughs>
1: yeah, I agree. It's a standout bit here. And at this point, due to the seance, Peter is being tormented by the invoked spirit of Charlie slash Payman. And some standout moments would be the bit in class where Peter notices his reflection smiling back at him. Man, that. Was a creepy smile, dude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that bit. So creepy. Might be one of my favorites.
1: (laughs) There's that great bit where he notices the apparition of Charlie standing in a dark corner of his room and her head rolls off and crashes to the floor, but it ends up being a ball. That's a pretty good one, too.
0: Yeah, a lot of
1: really good
0: editing techniques, but they all like fit narratively you know like a lot of match cuts but played so perfectly within the film
1: you know what's weird about that bit too is that's where peter's grabbed from underneath the bed Mm -hmm. and we're kind of led to assume that it's annie but i guess that could have been a cult member there's definitely some ambiguity in that moment right yeah i always felt it was a cult member we also, at this point, start to see Charlie's old sketchpad just filling with pictures of Peter in distress. <laughs> but Annie attempts to burn the sketchpad in the fireplace, and her own arm catches fire. So what we're going to learn through some good old-fashioned tension-ratcheting investigative discovery is that Joan was a member of a cult of pyman worshippers that was led by Annie's mother and Annie's mother had made numerous attempts to summon Paimon's spirit into a human host, and apparently succeeded with Charlie, but Pyman prefers a male host. Therefore, Charlie was an insufficient host, and despite the death of Annie's mother, the cult has been working feverishly behind the scenes in order to manipulate this family in terrible distress, and remove Pyman from Charlie, and use Peter as the host. Which leads me to my next question, which has to do with decapitation, because there's quite a bit of that going on here, and I'm assuming the spirit of Paimon must escape through the neck. I feel like that's something I've heard of before in some kind of ancient practices, but I might just be making shit up in my head or confusing fiction with reality. I don't know. It
0: sounds right. It sounds like that's something people would believe. (laughs)
1: We're also coming up on a scene where Annie discovers the decapitated corpse of her mother in her own attic. And then there's even that really weird scene where Joan attempts to expel Peter from his own body or something. (laughs) Not my favorite scene, I will admit, but it pushes us towards our upcoming cult confirming climax of hereditary. So Annie at this point, has pretty well and good put things together, but Steve brings Peter home after this terrifying face-smashing incident at school, and Steve is at the end of his rope with watching his family disintegrate, and he's grown very wary of Annie's unreasonable but assumptive madness. She tells him about the mother's corpse in the attic, and he confirms it, But he becomes suspicious of Annie and begins to connect his own dots and cast blame on her for what's going on. So I think that's the one benefit of her unreliable narrator that the movie takes advantage of is she's an unreliable narrator to Steve, you know, and this is what's going to drive him to his bitter, flammable end, so to (laughs) speak, because Annie tries to convince Steve to throw Charlie's sketchpad in the fireplace in order to help her protect Peter. But Steve ends up refusing to play along with what he sees as Annie's mental illness. So she grabs the sketchpad and tosses it into the fireplace herself. And this causes Steve to erupt into flames before her eyes. And as she watches in horror as her husband burns up, we see the spirit of Pyman enter her. which. I will say the lights are probably the most confusing thing in this movie did you make any sense of all the light moments um yeah it seems to have a link with paimon possession
0: but uh you know there's also lights early on you know charlie is seeing the lights yeah i just i don't think necessarily is paimon but i think it's a certain spirit roaming around and that one just happened to uh, take over Annie's body.
1: My interpretation was the lights represent Paimon's influence because I don't think he's always within. Like If you notice, the light expands outward with Peter the first time in class because I think it's signifying that Pyman's influence is here, but it's external at this moment, you know, where towards the end, we more see it going inward. We see it moving inward into Annie, right? So now it's become an internal influence. We see it go into Peter. And I think we see it expand outward with Charlie, but I think it's kind of guiding her to do the weird shit she does, like cut the head off a fucking bird and shit, you know?
0: right yeah I think that's totally a valid interpretation I
1: definitely agree with that so what did you think of Gabriel Byrne going up in flames <laughs> I don't I don't really understand why that happened <laughs> this time they throw the book in there
0: yeah it's not exactly clear why Gabriel
1: Byrne burned instead of Tony Collette <laughs> but it's fine I see that <laughs> yeah that's a great burn too
0: (laughs) well you gotta love the aftermath of his charred corpse and his arms just totally locked in position and his fingers all locked and gnarly (laughs) i don't know if i'd call it gnarly
1: (laughs) but yeah let's get into it because now we're racing towards this conclusion so peter wakes up in bed and this is where the movie does get downright fucking creepy, too, right? With Tony Collette's Annie just crawling across the walls and appearing in every shadowy corner you can think of. Yeah, we even get a little bit of action as she chases him up the stairs later on. <laughs> just bursting out of the shadows. Yeah, as far as possession shit goes, this is really creepy. <laughs> It definitely made my skin crawl on a couple occasions. Peter finds the charred corpse of Gabriel Byrne you're talking about. But then he's startled by a naked, smiling cult member who he recognized from the funeral before. And then he's chased upstairs by Annie. And he retreats into the attic and closes himself in as Annie pounds her head repeatedly against <laughs> the attic door. He's like, Mommy. Man, that was crazy. Mommy,
0: stop. And it's just her banging her head are these
1: cg flies or are they real flies i think they gotta be cg they're too like perfectly (laughs) flying (laughs) yeah and they never land on anybody (laughs) if those are real flies you'd be swatting them all day
0: (laughs) because i like the italians using real maggots
1: that's that's a little disappointing (laughs) so while up in the attic peter notices more occult shit As well as even more naked cult members. But then he hears something and he looks up and notices his mother, Annie, levitating in the attic and slicing through her own neck with piano wire in what is easily the film's most surprising and bloodiest moment. I did not see that coming.
0: (laughs) Just the sound that it makes as she slowly. Cutting her own head off, and then as
1: she speeds up, oh, it's gross. That's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, Peter throws himself out of a window. And in this moment, the spirit of Paimon enters its new host. So Peter Charlie Paimon, I guess we can call him. <laughs> <laughs> he comes to with a nice... And then he witnesses the headless corpse of Annie levitating into the treehouse, which I thought that was a very creepy image, too. Yeah, it's
0: just just in the background. It's so good. (laughs) You can barely see it, but it's
1: like, oh, shit. So he enters the treehouse and discovers it to be full of cult of Paimon worshippers bowing before a makeshift statue adorned with the rotting head of Charlie. And then Joan greets the newborn Paimon and places a crown on his head as she pledges herself and the cult to him. The cult shout, Hail Pyman!" in unison as we get a look at this moment in the style of Annie's miniature artwork. And that's the end of our movie. So I guess it's up to me to deliver some final thoughts, Danny. I guess you want to know what I think of this movie? I do. From the sound of it.
0: I think you like it, but give the listeners your final thoughts on Hereditary.
1: I don't just like Hereditary, Danny. I love it. (laughs) And what I love about this movie is how it wraps you in this suffocating blanket of psychological horror, only to strip it off of you and leave you in a far more frightening world of demonic possession and the occult. It's a beautifully made film that just oozes with subdued yet sublime style. And then what can you really say about the performances on display here that hasn't already been said before? It's just brilliant, brilliant stuff. You know, it's one thing to court your influences, but it's another thing entirely to put yourself in contendership as one of the greats alongside them. And that's what Hereditary does. It's an instant and unforgettable classic a welcome addition to the horror genre. You know, we talked a bit about the term elevated horror and I'm going to repeat what I said before more than any other genre of film. Horror is one where a rising tide lifts all boats. So you know what? Call this movie, whatever the hell you want, because I'm just for it and labels can go fuck themselves. Hereditary (laughs) rocks.
0: Awesome, man. I'm so glad you liked it, and I couldn't have said it better myself.
1: You know what else Hereditary has, Danny? Some very non-traditional kills. (laughs) I'd almost call them just deaths. (laughs) But I still have to know what's your favorite. Well, I think my favorite kill, or death, I think I gotta
0: go when Annie takes her own head off with that piano wire. (laughs) You know, there's so many creepy apparitions and images in the shadows in this film, but this one just always stuck with me, especially with the sound as she's, you know, going at it, lopping off her own head, (laughs) and just the little (laughs) splurt of blood that comes off. It's just so good, and just... So interesting. It's a real interesting kill. And I know you like interesting kills, Sean. And I like this one a lot.
1: Well, I'll tell you. Going in, it was hard for me to imagine this movie having a kill or a death that would rival that of Charlie getting her head taken off by that giant pole. But Annie sawing off her own head while (laughs) levitating in the attic rose to the occasion. And that's my pick, too. First off. Charlie is somewhat unlikable, I think it's fair to say. (laughs) Right. And at this point, that death has been memed to death. So I'm not sure if that scene is unintentionally funny (laughs) due to the meme or if the humor was there to begin with, but there is nothing funny about Annie sawing her own head off. I'd actually argue that there's nothing scarier when it comes to possession then the idea that the entity inside of you can make you kill yourself by literally <laughs> sawing off your own head not to mention unflinchingly saw off your own head right very brutal very nasty and the look on Annie's face just seals it for me
0: awesome well we're on the same page when it comes to deaths in hereditary which i had a feeling that we would be <laughs> But yeah, I've always loved this one too. It's just so intriguing, so unique. Yeah, you said it best like just the look on her face and just her floating in the air, you know,
1: (laughs) really makes it for me too. Well, that just leaves favorite scene. And I'm dying to know what yours is. Man, this film is just full of really great
0: scenes. I have an honorable mention. I have to bring it up because we didn't bring it up really, but I really do love that scene when Peter smashes his face into the desk and there's some possession going on, just his twisted arm, and when the teacher and the students are like, dude, Peter, are you okay? And it cuts to him and his face is all contorted and there's spit bubbling in his mouth and of course you get the click of the tongue which is just like an oh shit moment and then just him smashing his face into the desk and just the blood it's just so visceral and real i really enjoy that scene
1: right on i before you before you go any further i'll just say i love that scene too and uh I thought it was one of the most intriguing moments of the trailer also. One of the reasons (laughs) I did want to see this movie, I was like, I have to know what's happening in that scene. (laughs) So cool. So that was your honorable mention. So what is your favorite scene? My favorite scene,
0: I just have to go with the entire sequence of Charlie's death. Going to that party, seeing the nuts on the chopping block, and then Peter just trying to... Get rid of his sister so he can go enjoy some weed and maybe touch some titty at a party, like all (laughs) young boys want to do. And then just that fear setting in for Charlie as she's realizing she can't breathe and she's trying to take a drink and realizing something's seriously wrong. And then you gotta love when Peter's like, Are you okay? And then it just cuts to them like rushing to the car. And we talked about it plenty, but charlie's head coming off and peter just sitting with it in that moment not wanting to accept reality is just devastating it's a crushing scene and hereditary makes its mark with this entire sequence and it is not enjoyable it's horrible to watch but it's just captivating and i love it awesome
1: yeah that's a standout moment In this movie, for sure. So, Sean, what's your favorite scene in Hereditary? I just have to say first, it's kind of funny because you and I do not discuss what we're going to talk about. We just talk, right? Yeah. I cannot talk about my favorite scene without talking about two scenes either. (laughs) (laughs) So this was a difficult decision for me. I think there's a strong case to make for the finale being my favorite scene. It's a truly surreal bit, and seeing the decaying head of Charlie on that makeshift statue left me as shocked as I was surprised. My issue with the finale stems from what I already told you, which is it was really hard for me to accept the fact that these occult horrors were really happening on my first watch. I completely expected this movie to go the psychological horror route, with Annie being mentally unstable and a unreliable narrator who was more responsible than we knew as far as all the strange happenings were concerned. Once the cult members started popping up and it became clear that the supernatural horror was really happening, it was just hard for me to accept. So it left me a little confused after my first watch. I was like, did that really just fucking happen? <laughs> and it's funny because we've already talked a lot about elevated horror, but... I feel like Hereditary is one of the big movies to really spawn that terminology. Yeah. But I also feel like since it's a supernatural horror film masquerading as a psychological horror film, it's almost like the start of Elevated Horror also turned it on its fucking head, you know? Right. That that was just what I really loved about it but at the same time i just couldn't help but feel like i was like was that ending really earned like was that turning gears all that way really earned and don't get me wrong like i love it now but i was just so unsure of it that at the end of the day i had to choose something else and i wound up going with the dream within a dream sequence there's not A whole lot of moments full of special effects in this film. But the ants swarming all over Peter's face is an image and a moment that just shook me. I thought it was a very striking image. And it just grossed me out. (laughs) Yeah, it's
0: like the bees on Candyman's face in the
1: original. It's like, oh,
0: what the fuck?
1: (laughs) I'll also say that. The best moments in this movie are when Annie goes stark raving mad and Tony Collette just crushes it with some incredible acting each and every time. And we get a really good one here when she tells Peter, I never wanted to be your mother, and then covers her mouth <laughs> and then goes on that rant about trying to give herself a miscarriage. It's definitely more subdued than the other freakouts. But the tension ratchets up when Peter and Annie start screaming back and forth at each other. And then we get the cherry on top with some psychological horror perfection. When both characters are suddenly doused in paint thinner. And we hear that match strike. And it all calls back to that nugget of information we received when Annie told Joan about a previous sleepwalking incident. Then the room and Peter apparently erupt into flames which foreshadows another great incident we will get later on with some fire. But then Annie wakes up, and I think this scene is the peak as far as psychological horror is concerned, because after this scene, we really enter the supernatural second half of the movie, and that's all well and good. But like I said about the final scene at the start, it was hard for me to accept at first. But that's only because I was so invested in the psychological horror like this scene here. And that's why it's my favorite.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, I really love that scene, too. I mean, there's just so many great, outstanding powerhouse performance scenes in this film. Like, you know, there's almost too many to remember them all. You kind of forget
1: some. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was like really good. But yeah, man, awesome pick. Well, that was Hereditary. That was our Flip the Script episode. Halloween may be in the rear view, but we're still here, baby. And we will be here on Black Friday. So don't eat too much because we don't want you to lose your lunch. And be careful out there if you go do some big box store shopping. Who does that? But just remember, you can tune into us. And we'll be here to keep you company with another great horror movie. Thank you for listening and have a great night.